there's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Today is Saturday, March 14th, 2020. On this day in 2008, nine-year-old Shannon Matthews was discovered in a flat in Dewsbury, West Yorkshire, England. She'd been missing for 24 days. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Today we're covering the discovery of Shannon Matthews, a nine-year-old girl from West Yorkshire, England, who went missing in the winter of 2008. After failing to come home from school on February 19th, her mother, Karen Matthews, contacted the police in a state of distress. The story sparked an intense search for Shannon that captured the nation's attention for weeks. But 24 days later, the police were no closer to finding her and had essentially given up any hope that Shannon was still alive. That would all change around 1 p.m. on March 14, 2008. It was a typically cold, gray, wet Friday afternoon in Dewsbury, and the weather was doing little to improve the moods of the county's residents. The local playground in Batley Carr had gone practically unused for weeks. Swings hung dormant, chains creaking in the wind. The same flyer plastered every lamppost and street sign, displaying the smiling girl with a ponytail of dark brown hair. Shannon Matthews was the second missing British girl to capture the nation's attention in less than a year. The first, three-year-old Madeline McCann, had vanished in May of 2007 and had never been found. She remained in the news for months. Of course, the McCanns had come from higher stock. Nine-year-old Shannon Matthews came from a poor family and was already losing her place in the headlines after only 24 days. But not in Dewsbury. For the small West Yorkshire community, the disappearance had hit troublingly close to home, especially when Shannon's mother, Karen Matthews, appeared on the evening news, tears streaming down her face as she pleaded, Shannon, please come home. You are not in trouble. That was over three weeks ago. It was common knowledge among the West Yorkshire police that most child abductors killed their victims within hours. Officers were relatively certain that Shannon Matthews would not be coming home alive. That didn't mean the search was over. In fact, it was quickly becoming the precinct's most expensive investigation in decades. Constables had spent countless hours tracking down and interviewing the many family members of Karen Matthews and her boyfriend, Craig Meehan. So far, they had no significant leads. 
And so it was that Detective Constables Paul Kettlewell, 55, and Nick Townsend, 49, found themselves at a row of apartments in Lydgate Gardens just before one in the afternoon on March 14th. They'd been dispatched to check up on yet another relative, in this case, an uncle of Craig's named Michael Donovan. Donovan didn't answer the door, but the constable's knocking alerted one of his neighbors. The neighbor was curious as to how the investigation was going and insisted that the tenant must be home. After all, his silver Peugeot was parked right out front in clear view. Soon, a second neighbor emerged from the apartment directly beneath Michael Donovan's. The elderly woman, who introduced herself as June Batley, confirmed that she had heard Michael moving about in the apartment earlier in the day. She thought it sounded like a man, at least. The footsteps were certainly much heavier than the pitter-patter of a child's feet she had heard over the last few weeks. Twenty minutes later, a battering ram crashed through the door of Michael Donovan's apartment. D.C.'s Townsend and Kettlewell streamed inside, flanked by three more members of the West Yorkshire police force. They moved methodically through the kitchen and the living room, but the apartment seemed completely devoid of life. The master bedroom was locked, but the battering ram made short work of it. The room appeared to be just as empty as the rest of the apartment, but the faint scent of cigarette smoke filled the air, and the bedsheets were still warm. Someone had just been there, but where they had gone, the constables couldn't say. At least until they heard it. A faint, weak voice called out, Stop it, you're frightening me. The men shared a look. Before they knew what was happening, the bed began to jostle and move. Suddenly, the head of a small girl popped out of a hole in the baseboard drawer. She was crying, distraught, and clearly bewildered by the arrival of the policemen. She continued to crawl out of the bed until she stood before them. I'm Shannon, she said. Without a word, D.C. Kettlewell scooped up the sobbing nine-year-old. He carried her out of the bedroom, down the stairs, and out the front door to the police van waiting outside. A few minutes later, the officers still inside the apartment received a call over their radios. It was Kettlewell with a message from Shannon. Mike's where I was. He's under the bed. Constable Matthew Trochi knelt down so he could peer through the hole that Shannon had crawled out of. Inside the frame of the bed lay a 39-year-old man curled in a fetal position. As the officers approached him, Michael Donovan kicked and squirmed. He even tried to bite, but eventually they managed to drag him out from under the bed and down to the curb. Once he was safely handcuffed and locked in a second van, he finally seemed to calm down. After a few minutes, he croaked out a single phrase, get Karen down here. The constables shared a look of consternation, no doubt wondering what Donovan wanted with the mother of the girl he had abducted and held for 24 days. 
We've got a plan, he offered by way of explanation. We are sharing the money. Coming up, what first appeared to be a typical case of child abduction unravels into a twisted, sordid tale of betrayal and neglect. Now, back to the story. On March 14, 2008, nine-year-old Shannon Matthews was found in the apartment of 39-year-old Michael Donovan, the uncle of her mother's boyfriend. The police officers who rescued Shannon were relieved and astonished to find that she was still alive. Investigators hoped that Shannon would be able to explain what had happened to her, but it quickly became clear that this would not be possible. She was traumatized and extremely confused. Doctors would soon determine that she had been drugged for weeks with a cocktail of sedatives, painkillers, antidepressants, and travel sickness pills, likely in an attempt to keep her quiet and docile. The only thing Shannon seemed certain of was that she did not want to see her mother. Investigators were initially confounded by Michael Donovan's assertion that Shannon's own mother was behind the abduction. So far, Karen Matthews had behaved just as they'd expected a worried mother should. But some of Karen's closest friends soon told them that she was anything but a loving mother, and they believed she was putting on an act for the press. When the investigators pressed Karen with these accusations, she finally broke down and confessed. She admitted she had known that Shannon was with Michael Donovan, but she had never wanted anything less than the best for her child. According to Karen, she'd been planning to leave her boyfriend Craig for some time, but was worried about what he would do when he found out. Michael Donovan had supposedly recognized the young mother's distress and offered to give her and her kids a place to stay. Karen said that the plan was to leave Craig on the afternoon of February 19th. She asked Michael to pick Shannon up after school and would meet up with them later that evening with Shannon's siblings. But Craig surprised her by staying home from work. Karen didn't want to reveal that she'd been planning to run, but also didn't have an explanation for where Shannon was. Craig's family had pressured her to call the police and report Shannon missing, and she'd caved. Then the media story had gotten out of control, and the mother hadn't known what to do. That was Karen Matthews' story, or the most coherent version of it at least. The details and excuses kept shifting and changing. Meanwhile, Michael Donovan had an altogether different version of events. Michael and Karen had met at Craig's father's wake a few months prior. Craig had taken the death hard, and their relationship had suffered. Meanwhile, Karen and Michael had grown close. Then, in January of 2008, Karen came to Michael with a plan to stage an abduction. Karen would report Shannon missing, then play the role of a hysterical mother to garner media attention. Meanwhile, Michael would keep the girl at his apartment. Once the reward for Shannon reached 50,000 pounds, he would, quote, find Shannon and split the money with Karen. 
Neither Karen nor Michael would agree to the other's version of events, but it was clear that both were lying to some degree and that they knew each other fairly well. They were tried as accomplices in the kidnapping. On December 4, 2008, Karen Matthews and Michael Donovan were found guilty of kidnapping, false imprisonment, and perverting the course of justice. They were sentenced to eight years in prison. While we may never know exactly what happened to Shannon Matthews during her 24 days in captivity, it's clear that she survived a childhood fraught with abuse and neglect. She was repeatedly betrayed and mistreated by the very adults she should have looked to for protection and comfort. During the course of the trial, the prosecution presented evidence that Shannon had been regularly drugged for years. But in the end, Shannon's story is one of hope. After the trial, she was placed in foster care and given a new identity. She wouldn't ever be neglected, drugged, or hidden inside a bed again. Wherever she is today, we hope that she's happy and safe. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Andrew Kelleher, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 